Again, I know it's a little bit cooler. Good morning, folks. Good morning. Good morning. The new year has set in, hasn't it? The new academic year. People are excited the first week, second week, we're done. Done already. Looking forward to Christmas. It is great to have you with us. I've just got a few notices just to share with you um, before we kick into looking at God's word and considering what it means to be gospel-centered. A couple, couple of notices. The first one is this. I want to remind you again that on the 25th of September, we're going to be having our collective day. 25th of September, collective day, where all the churches that are part of the Cornerstone Collective that we've had the privilege of planting, all are going to get together at 10 o'clock. And at 10 o'clock, we're going to have some time in here. The kids are going to be in there, and there'll be like a holiday Bible club party type thing for the kids. We'll have lunch together, and then we'll all be back in here together praising God and hearing about what he's doing around the region and what our hope and what our prayer is for what we believe God is calling us to here in Merseyside. So please put that. And if, if, if you're new to the church, great opportunity to come and actually talk with people and actually engage a little bit more with people having lunch. If it's nice, we'll sit outside in the gardens. If it's not nice, we'll sit inside. If the kids are a nightmare, we'll put them on the scaffolding outside. All right. <laughs> All right, we've just put that in especially, all right? No, that's going to be up there for about six to seven weeks. You'll be glad to know we're going to have some people doing some work to try and stop the rain from getting in. God has been really good to us. We've never had a Sunday where it's been raining because when it rains, if you're sitting over there, if you're sitting over there, you get very, very wet, all right? You get very, very wet. So we're hoping that that'll be sorted out in the next six weeks and then we can start work on other things. There's no point in doing anything till it is watertight. So there's a notice. Another notice is this, that on the 16th of October, which is a Saturday, we're going to be holding a women's prayer breakfast. So if, 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 if you are a woman, you, you are a girl, you are, more, uh, you are more than welcome to come on Saturday. What time are we talking, Bonnie? 9.30. So it is a reasonable hour. It's a reasonable hour. For some of us, that's the middle of the day. For some of us, that is also the middle of the night. All right, so, so half nine here in the back, you'll get in through Olivedale entrance and there'll be breakfast, a time to meet other women in the church and also a time to pray together. Folks, as Tom and both Joy have said, we're starting a series called, we're looking at the values of Cornerstone Church. For those that don't know, 12 years ago, we began the process of replanting, sort of restarting a little brethren assembly called Ramley's Road Chapel, which is just off Penny Lane over the way there. And we wanted to, when we came to be part of the team there, we wanted to have clear values clear values that weren't shaped by the culture that we live in, but were shaped by the word of God. And we wanted those values to be such that we were able to articulate them. So when new people came to the church, when people asked questions about us, we were able to say, this is who we are, and this is what it means. And those three values are this, and they all come from the Bible, and we've tried to distill it into these three things. You'll see them on our website. Number one is this, that we are a church that is gospel-centered, which I'll talk about today. That we are a church that is marked by grace. Marked by the grace of God. The way that we live, the way that we function, shows that we are people who have been transformed by the grace of God. And number three, that we are a church who are on mission. God has given us, commissioned us, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world. And these values, folks, are a way of us articulating our convictions from reading the Bible, and they help us form as a church, but they also help us to sustain 
as a church in the ever-changing culture that we find ourselves in. So every September since 2009, we've spent three weeks to revisit who we are and who God and what God has called us to. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And folks, can I say this as well? If you've been coming here for 12 years and you're thinking, oh, we're doing this again, I need to remind you that we as a people are a forgetful people. That we as humanity, as you read through the Bible, very quickly forgot the goodness and the grace of God. Very quickly. So I, can I encourage you to be tuned in? Also, folks, for those of you who've heard this word gospel but aren't sure regarding what it is, can I encourage you, tune in. I'm gonna be reading from 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 15, verse one. This is the Apostle Paul talking, writing a letter, he's concluding a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with, with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people, most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. And we ask, Father, by your spirit, that you would speak to us and remind us of the wonderful gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, Cornerstone Church, are a gospel-centered church. What does this mean? What does this mean? For some of us, the word gospel has become a white noise. For some of us, the word gospel is something that we've heard shared from the front or in, maybe in other churches that you've come to and you don't really understand what it means. So we wanna spend some time actually reminding ourselves what the gospel is all about. So the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter 
that we've just written. Right at the beginning of this letter, in chapter one, he walks into this city, and what he says to them is this. I don't know, I don't want to know anything among you. I'm not going to share anything else apart from this. Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel. At the end of the letter, he writes, I want to remind you of the gospel that I brought to you because the gospel that I brought to you is the most important thing. See that verse three? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So it's so important for us as a church to revisit what it is to be gospel-centered because it is, according to the word of God, the most important thing that you will ever hear. So what is the gospel? Number one, the gospel is good news. See, the word gospel comes from the old English word, God spell. God spell, God meaning good, the word for good and spell being the word for announcement. A God spell. So the gospel is a good announcement. It is good news. Folks, it's so important that we realize, we realize both for our lives and for our mission and our evangelism as Christians, that the gospel is a news to be proclaimed. It is not another philosophy to be considered. It is not a bit of advice. It is good news. The pastor from America, Tim Keller, said this, the gospel is news, not advice. See, advice is counsel that helps you get something accomplished. News is a report that something has been accomplished, and in this case, accomplished for you. It's something that has already happened in history, and you must respond to it. I've got some great news for you this morning, that yesterday, an 18-year-old girl called Emma Raducanu won the US Open. Oh, all right, we're clapping, we're clapping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Emma got a clap, let's hope Jesus does. Right, okay. <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant news, amen? You can say amen, that means agree. Don't worry, oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant, that's news. Now if I'd have told you this yesterday, I would have said, watch the tennis. I wanna advise you, watch the tennis because this girl could end up doing something which is amazing. See, the gospel isn't an advice for you to consider and for you to do something. No, the gospel is a news that you should receive and you must respond to. See, in Isaiah 52 verse seven, it says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Do you see that? How beautiful on the mountains of the feet of those who give advice? No, who bring good news. On Friday, Sean was interviewed for a church planting network um, sort of podcast. And the first question that the interviewer asked Sean, what's the worst thing about Steve? And she said this, he's got horrendous feet. That's what she said. Horrendous feet, I was, oh, hang on a minute. And then I went to Isaiah 52 and said, well, God says something differently because how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and who declare our God reigns. Our God reigns. Folks, the good news of the gospel is that God reigns. 
that God is over everything. See, to the enemies of God, that is not, this is not good news, but to those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are children of God, this is, and I wanna hear amen, great news, amen? It is great news. So number one, folks, the gospel is good news. And it is the good news that God reigns and in his kingdom is found, as Isaiah says, peace, happiness, and salvation. Number one, the gospel is good news. Number two, the gospel is about Christ. Do you see that verse three? For I deliver to you as of first importance, which I also receive that Christ. See, the gospel is not about you. It is not about me. It's not about how my life has, been t- has turned out or how my life is going. Yes, folks, as Christians, we have assurance and joy and security and forgiveness, and we want to tell people that. We want to tell people how our lives have changed, but we need to be reminded that our lives have been changed not because of anything that we've done. It is because of Christ. See, it is not great news if the news is about me. It's not great news if the news is about Cornerstone Church or about the latest book that I'm reading or the latest podcast that I'm listening to because that is ultimately disappointing but when it is about Christ. The God who left heaven and became a human, who walked in our shoes, who understood our pain and our suffering, who was tempted like us to live for self yet did not sin, who took what we deserve on the cross and overcame sin, death and hell. It is about Jesus Christ who is the promised savior of the world. The good news is about Christ. Colossians tells us that for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and it's through him He reconciles all things to himself in heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. It says that he left the throne room of heaven in Philippians and he humbled himself even unto death. Folks, the good news that we proclaim as Cornerstone Church is a good news not about this church. It is a good news about Christ, Jesus. Number two, the gospel is about Christ. Number three, the gospel is about the cross. See, folks, it's not just about the good life and model example of Jesus that we are all to follow. No, the gospel is that Christ died. Verse three, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. I said earlier, didn't I, that the apostle Paul walked into a a city and that church looked at him And that city looked at him and they saw an unimpressive man. A diverse city with commerce, with all things going on. And the temptation for him to be shifted in this good news, to talk about something that was more culturally relevant or something that was more culturally shaped. But no, what does he say? I'm going to proclaim nothing else amongst you apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified and him crucified. Folks, the gospel is about the cross, the good news of the cross. And as you read through the whole of scripture, you see that all of it points to this moment in history when Jesus Christ, the son of God, dies for the sins of his people. 
He who had done no wrong, he who had committed no sins, he who came and only honored his father, humbled himself, goes to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, taking all our sin, all our shame, all our rejection of God, all our brokenness upon him, and he dies in our place. The Bible tells us that the wages of our sin, the wages of us rejecting God and living for self is death. And Christ, who has never and never will do that, stepped in and took that for us and died. And as you follow through Scripture, you can see that it is all pointing to that. It tells us in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus. And you can follow it all the way through. Let me just give you one example very quickly. In Genesis chapter 22, we see Abraham, he was the father of God's people, of Israel, the Hebrews. God made a promise to him, even though he didn't have any children, that a massive family and a massive nation would come for him. He was an old man and his wife was old. And they gave him a son, Isaac his name, the promised son. Then God said to him, go and sacrifice your son in honor and for my glory. Imagine that, folks. So Abraham, in obedience, takes Isaac, walks up a mountain. Isaac's sort of confused what's going on, I'm sure. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? He keeps saying, Abraham, God will provide the lamb. And as he comes to bring down the knife on his own son, God says, stop. Take him off the altar. And in the bushes, there was a lamb. See, that lamb took the place of Isaac. That lamb took the place of that boy. You then go to Exodus 12 as God's people have been in slavery in Egypt for years and years and years. And all, all the, uh, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. But Pharaoh says, no, no. God brings all sorts of plagues, all sorts of pestilences and brings them down on Egypt, showing them that the gods that they live for are nothing compared to the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews. And they still said no, and he still said no, and he still said no. And it came to the point where God said to all God's people, there is a plague that is going to come that will rock Egypt, where all the firstborn will die of every household. But if you take a lamb and you kill the lamb, you take the blood and you put the blood of the lamb over the, the posts, and then you eat the lamb, when the angel of death comes, it will see the blood and it will pass over because the lamb has died in the place of those inside. And then you get to Levit Leviticus 16. And you see that God's people every year in order to atone for the sin, an animal had to die, a lamb had to die, a ram, a goat had to die in place of the people. And all the sins were put on the lamb, put on the goat, and the goat, the lamb died instead of the people. And then you get to John chapter 1, and John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, spots Jesus as Jesus walks to him, and this is what he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Genesis 22, there was a lamb for one man. In Exodus 12, there was a lamb for a family. In Leviticus 16, there's a lamb for a nation. And in John chapter 1, it is a lamb for the world. And at the end of the Bible, all of heaven shout, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Folks, the gospel is about the death of Jesus Christ. It is about the cross and the resurrection that stands as the pinnacle point of all time.
The good news being that now, because Jesus has paid what we owe for our sin, because Jesus has fulfilled the legal demand, we can now come near to God and be called as children. When as before, the Bible tells us, we were his enemies. Folks, without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. There are people who lead churches, inverted commas, that want to move away from the truth of Jesus being a substitute for broken people like us and say that there is a gospel. Without the cross, there is no good use for humanity. Without the cross, there is no saving from the punishment of sin. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the cross, there is no rescue from past shame. The gospel is about the cross, number three. Number four, the gospel is about victory. Do you see that verse four? That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, the triumphant victory of Jesus over sin, over death, and over hell is that God raised him from the dead. Amen? Amen. See, that's why Paul later on is arguing with with people, persuading people, saying, look, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, what's the point? Because the person that you believe in is still dead. But the one that has paid the price, we know that the price has been paid because God has raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him, and the grave could not keep him. Amen. See, Luke 24, when Jesus is risen, and the ladies go to the tomb, they see an angel they think is a God, an angel, and they say, he is not here, but he is risen. He's not here. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, but on the third day he would rise. And Jesus also told them that what was gonna happen to him would also happen to them if they believe, amen? If they believe. See, Jesus, when he was talking to the sisters of Lazarus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me that we die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says to the sisters, do you believe this? Cornerstone Church, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again? And in believing, you also will have life eternal. See, Romans tells us we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. The death has no dominion over him. Jesus has been victorious over death. It tells us in Revelation chapter one, Jesus speaking to John, he says, fear not because I am the first, I am the last, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Jesus owns death, folks. Jesus died, he stepped in, he took the keys and he walked away. And that victory of the cross and resurrection means so much for us because we also, through faith, share in the blessings of that victory. We had it read for us before in 1 Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance for us 
that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for you. Amen? We get to share in that victory. We get to share in the blessings of that victory because our old selves died with Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead gives us new life. We are born again with a hope that is living and secure. And folks, go home and read this. I haven't got time. But at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, look, because Jesus has risen from the dead, one day, I want to tell you about this mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We won't all sleep but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And this perishable body will be changed to a body that is imperishable. And then all will say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the victory of the cross seen through the resurrection of Jesus. And it means for those of us who have faith in that, we share in that and that is our hope, that is our promise and that is where we are going, amen, amen. Number five, the gospel is about grace through faith. Grace through faith. That actually we read in the book of Ephesians that actually we were dead in our sins, but we have been made alive in Christ. Folks, I want to tell you this. The good news is this. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. See, we have been saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift. What sort of gift? What sort of gift is it when you have to earn it? You know what I mean? See, the young girl yesterday, she received a check for $2.5 million, Right? And it was sort of like handed over like it was a gift. She had to work really hard for that, to be fair. Didn't she? She did. I couldn't have done it. I, I played tennis. I couldn't have done it. She had to work hard for that. Folks, what we have been given in and through Christ is a free gift earned by him. See, the gospel is about grace through faith. The good news isn't good advice. The good news is Jesus has done it. Jesus has finished it. And Jesus has secured it for you. Does a man, amen. Well, then, that's a clap, mate. Amen. See, it's about the spiritually dead coming alive. Not by anything that we do, but all by the grace of God. So, folks, can I say this? We need to stop looking at our lives, trying to find things that enable us to say, I'm doing well. We need to stop that. We need to stop looking at our lives and comparing them to other people to think, well, things are going really well. I'm cracking on in my Christian life. We need to stop that because God isn't doing that. He's not doing that. God's not keeping a tally of how often you come to church. He's not keeping a tally of how often you're involved in gospel community. He's not giving a tally. Folks, can I say this? If you don't involve yourself in those things and the people of God, you miss out on so much joy and blessing. But your salvation is not based on those things. Your salvation is based on what Christ has done. By grace, through faith. It's because of him. God the Father will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because of him. Amen? Number six, the gospel is about everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. The Westminster Catechism, which is a set of questions 
right, and answers that help us to explain sort of the doctrines of the Bible. And they were written in the 16th century. The first statement says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy him forever. See, the wonderful news of the gospel is that we are brought back into the presence of him who is the source of all life, all satisfaction, all joy. And that can be enjoyed and experienced in all circumstances and at all times. It was King David that said in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Folks, can I say this? The joy is found in knowing that the fullness of his presence is the destination of our eternity. The fullness of that. But also he is the one who guards our hearts and guides our paths through the turbulent circumstances we experience in this life. Folks, whatever life throws at you, you can still experience the joy of knowing that you are in the presence of God with no stain, with no blemish. At the right hand of God, there is fullness of joy forevermore. See, folks, it was even Paul when he wrote to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul, right? Who gave us 25% of the New Testament, in whom's book we are, um, letter we are studying today said this, as he wrestled with the reality of his sin and the reality of brokenness, and he looked and he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't do, I find myself doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says this, because of the gospel, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's joy, amen? That's joy. Folks, whatever you've done, whatever you did last night, whatever you did, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever you experienced yesterday, whatever you have got to come, whether it's the cares of the world or the, the, the brokenness of your own, own decisions, I wanna tell you this, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is this, there is still joy in the midst of those circumstances. Still joy. See, Jesus holds our hand through the journey of this life, meeting our needs, and leads us to the fullness of the presence of God the Father who waits for us with open arms, with a loving hand, not a fist of condemnation. See, many of us live each day under the fist of our own self-condemnation, that we're letting God down in some way. It feels like you get to the end of every single day and you feel like God is just looking at you tutting. Beloved ones of God, let me tell you this. Because of the gospel, you cannot let God down. You can't let him down. Yes, the Spirit convicts, but the Spirit doesn't convict to condemn. No, the Spirit convicts to bring us back to the place of joy. When we sin, when we hold God at arm's length, we don't let him down, but rather we miss out of the joy and the pleasure 
of his presence. See, so many of us are struggling to find joy in Christ, not because he doesn't satisfy, but because we don't understand the gospel. I hope and I pray that you would walk away from this place knowing that the gospel is good news, that there's nothing that you can do that, let, let, that lets God down. And actually, the, the process that is occurring is the spirit working in you to turn you back to the one who was standing with open arms. Folks, he did not spare his son, but gave him up for us. Not also with him graciously, he gives us everything, his presence and his joy. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, even your own self-condemnation. Amen? Amen. The gospel is about everlasting joy. Number seven, the gospel is about the glory of God. When you get to the end of the Bible, Revelation, you see in Revelation 7, John says that he looked and behold, he sees a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're all clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Do you see what's going on there? A multitude of people from every tribe, tongue and nation, that is the good news, are all around the throne where the lamb who was slain for those people and all those people in the heavenly realm bring glory to God, blessing to God forever and ever, amen. Folks, the gospel is about the glory of God, not the glory of this church, not the glory of your life, but the glory of the God who holds all things in his hand, who is above all things, who does, who, 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 who has a presence of which we do not deserve to come into, but he sends his only son and the whole cosmos gives him glory. A God who calls a people to himself to display his glory to in and through his son and then to display his glory through as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. The gospel is about the glory of God. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about the cross. It is about victory. It is about grace through faith. It is about everlasting joy. It is about the glory of God. Folks, this is the good news of the gospel. And that news, let me remind you, is central to who we are as a church. It is not a starting point and then we move on to other deep doctrinal things. There is no doctrine without the gospel. There is no further understanding without the gospel and it is the gospel that shapes us and it is the gospel that sustains us. I've been the pastor for Cornerstone Church for 12 years and I'll tell you now that we have never moved on from the gospel. The gospel is central in all things in this church. But you may say, but isn't that the case in every church? Isn't that the case in every church? Sadly, it's not. Sadly, it's not. See, the need for doctrinal precision, all right, real precision regarding what the Bible is talking about, 
And gospel centrality is so important for us to understand. It's so important. And one way of doing that is differentiating it with alternatives. And I think this is really important for us. And here, folks, I'm not church bashing here in any way. I'm trying to help the people that God has called me to lead to have clarity on the gospel. See, folks, there are churches that are gospel-denying. They would deny the truths of what I have just proclaimed to you. They would. The resurrection, is it true? Was Jesus a substitute in our place? Or was it just an act of love? That's a denial of the gospel. It's a denial of the truth of the Bible. It's a liberal way of approaching God's word that will affect individuals and affect a church and will have no effect on the community. Gospel denying. There are churches that are gospel assuming. So they assume the gospel. They would say that they believe the gospel, but they don't preach it. And the Christianity that is preached is more self-help or ways to be better or to reach your personal potential or the greatest love of all is that you actually love yourself. They wouldn't deny these truths. They assume it, but what is proclaimed is very different and has no impact on the individual, has no impact on the church and has no impact on the community. And then there are churches that are gospel proclaiming. That they believe the gospel. I would say amen and clap their hands to everything that I've said. But they only see the gospel as the ticket into heaven. The proclamation of the gospel is just evangelism for those who do not know it. But then we get on with the real work of discipleship and then there is this, this disconnect between discipleship and the truth of the gospel which leads to emphasizing moralistic living and behavior because we've moved away from the wonder of the gospel and grace and it becomes about how we live and what we do. Folks, that just destroys people. It puts a burden and a yoke on people that Jesus said is not there to carry. And it is not compelling and winsome and attractive to the people that we're proclaiming it to. And then there are churches that have the gospel at the center. Gospel-centered churches recognize that we don't grow out of the gospel. We don't outgrow it. We've had it read for us again today in Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned each one to his own way. It's a beautiful picture of the reality of our lives. The reality of the temptation all the time to just go our own way, to make our own decision, to wander around, to be pushed by the cultural buffers all over the place to figure out what is going on. Folks, this is the reality of our lives and it's also a picture that we need regarding who Jesus came to save. People who live like wandering sheep. We need to be reminded of the gospel. See, when Paul went into Corinth, he said, the only thing I want to preach is the gospel. And at the end of the letter, he said, I want to remind you that the most important thing I brought to you is the gospel. Then in between those, what does Paul do? He deals with all the reality and the issues of life, individuals, and a church. And how does he do it? Through the lens of the gospel. Through the lens of the gospel. Therefore, I remind you, In light of all this, in light of the gospel, in light of trying to figure things out, 
So gospel-centered churches, folks, preach the gospel and walk through reality through the lens of the gospel. We don't leave it behind. We don't assume it. We view everything through the lens of it. So when we deal with ethical issues, the gospel is applied. When we teach about marriage and make sense of it, we do it through Christ's love for the church, the gospel. Not if you communicate better, everything will be fine. It won't be, folks. But if you look to Jesus and how he loved the church, it will give you a stronger ground for your marriage to walk through the reality of this life. See, when we think about generosity, generosity is viewed through the generosity of the self-giving of Jesus Christ. How much should I give? How much should I give away? Well, let's think about how much Jesus gave. He died for us. That's the benchmark. See, the call to forgiveness is rooted in Christ's forgiveness for us. See, our hospitality, the opening up of our lives and our homes reflects the welcome that Christ gives to us. Caring for the refugee, the widow, the orphan, the lonely, the lost, and the lonely. Moving towards those who we even despise is motivated by the grace and mercy of God that is found in the gospel. Folks, we are a people, we are a church that want to know nothing else amongst the people of this city apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified. And because this is the most important news in all of the world, in all of time, we want the news of the gospel to be the thing that shapes us and sustains us as God's people, as we live out what it is to be the light of the world. Because folks, it's the gospel that changes lives. Amen? I'm looking at people that I know and I love, and I know their stories. It's the gospel that has changed your life. Amen? It is the gospel that leads us to worship. It's the gospel that changes how we live. It's the gospel that changes our affections, that stirs our affections for Jesus. It's not wonderful musicians and wonderful singers. It's the truth of the gospel. It is the gospel that lifts us from despair. Can I tell you this? Your faith in Christ, even though things are difficult, is not futile. And if you believe that Christ is risen from the dead, the culture may pity you, but God doesn't. It lifts us from despair. It is our assurance that there is more to life than this, and that has been secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the gospel unites in a divided world. See, it's hostility between us and God has been broken down, between others has been broken down. The good news, nowhere else in the world do you see a diverse community all around one wonderful news with ethnicity and age and background and different socioeconomic backgrounds. As I look out here, we are all different, but there is one thing that unites the gospel. And it's the gospel that fuels our mission because you commend what you cherish. You commend what you cherish. So my question is, if you are not commending the gospel to those that you love, do you cherish the gospel? Do you cherish it? Do you revisit it? 
Do you seek to see the world and your circumstances through the wonder of it? And it is the gospel that you want to proclaim to those who do not know it. Cornerstone Church, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that we preach to you, that many of you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that has been preached, unless you have believed in vain. And can I say this? If you've believed in vain, in and through Christ, God the Father still stands with his arms wide open and you can come to him. If you've lived as a Christian for 30 years and maybe for the first time you've grasped the wonder of the gospel. I grew up in church. I thought I knew it. I could recite so much of the Bible. When I was 21 years of age, a good friend of mine preached the wonder of the cross and for the first time on a kids camp that I was leading, Jesus smashed me up and I'm sitting in a group of little boys who were all 11 sobbing my heart out because the first time I understood the grace of God and they're all looking at me as like, what is going on here? Don't be too proudful to surrender and come and respond to the truth of the gospel. And if you are out here and you're like, I know nothing of this. But if this is true, can I now encourage you? Bow your head. Thank Jesus for what he's done. Confess your sin. Repent and turn to him. And know the joy of forgiveness that is only found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. And we praise you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the gospel the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that by your spirit, that you would constantly massage that truth into our hearts and that we, Father, as a church, would never move from the truth of the gospel. And I pray that it would be the gospel that we commend. I pray that it would be the gospel that shapes us to live as your people. I pray that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that the people of this community and the people of this city and the people of this region would see and that we will be marked by the gospel of Jesus. Put the gospel at the center of every life. Put the gospel at the center of everything that we do. And we remind us constantly that the gospel is about Christ and Christ alone. Help us to see we have nothing to fear in this life. Help us to see that even in the circumstances of brokenness, there is fullness of joy for those who have faith in Jesus those who have responded to the gospel. And now, Father, I ask by your spirit, bring people to yourself.